Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing that mo- what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were, people were coming to him from every quarter. All right, you may be seated. Well, good morning, church. You guys are the brave ones, the ones that... Uh, don't care how much snow is on the ground or how much ice might be on the driveway, you are going to brave it and you are going to get here. And so thank you guys for being here. Um, yeah, I, know, I know some churches canceled this morning and there's, there's some of us that, have, that are sick or at home or couldn't get here, but uh, we, we did really see the importance of still having service this morning, still gathering together. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you for everyone who got here really early and was uh, shoveling some, putting salt down, getting worship, sound, everything going. Thank you guys. This is, uh, uh, I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited to hear from God's word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 29. And as you are turning there, let me give you a little bit of a recap from last week. From those of you that, if you guys weren't here or if you forget what we talked about last week, Last week, we saw Jesus and his followers are in the city of Capernaum, which is a city along the Sea of Galilee. And on the Sabbath, Jesus was the guest speaker there in the local synagogue. And we saw how people were astonished, they were amazed, and to some degree even terrified by Jesus' teaching because he taught as one who had authority. And we learned last week that Jesus has authority over everyone and everything, and we learned just how freeing and joy-giving that is to know and live in the reality that Jesus has authority over everyone and everything. And then we saw last week, not only did he teach with authority, but he also demonstrated his authority by casting out an unclean spirit. And we saw that Jesus commands, and even the enemy obeys. 
Even the enemy obeys. And so we said, praise God, Jesus has authority over everyone and everything. And now today we are going to continue to see his authority be put on display over sickness and disease. But before we jump in, let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for, thankful for your word, thankful for your people, and thankful for an opportunity to gather with one another. God, what a strange morning this is on Palm Sunday to see white snow covering the fields and the roads. But Lord, nonetheless, we will, we will enjoy you we will celebrate your creation and your glory, even in the midst of snow and ice. We ask that you would watch over um, uh, people that could not be here this morning, whether due to illness or due to the weather, God. We ask that you would uh, encourage their hearts, that you would um, um, point them to, to have a sweet time with you uh, in your word and in prayer. And we ask that you would bring us all back together uh, next week to celebrate your resurrection. And God, as we approach your word, we do not approach it lightly, but we do approach it as, as it being your very words, God. This is authoritative for our life. So we ask that you would speak to us, that these would be your words, not mine, and that it would be done for your glory, not mine. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are going to talk about fevers. This morning, we are going to talk about disease. This morning, we are going to talk about being sick. And this morning, we are going to talk about being contagious. I know you guys are excited. I can tell. You're, you're pumped up, all right? You're ready, okay? And some of you, even now, with the reemergence of winter, are maybe fighting off some colds or some illnesses, or, or like my family, we're kind of just getting over a little bit of a, a, some illnesses at our house. But the good news this morning, the good news this morning is that we will learn that Jesus' holiness, Jesus' holiness is way more contagious than any sickness or disease here on earth. Jesus' holiness is way more contagious than any sickness or disease here on earth. And so I'm not sure how this winter was for all of you, but for a lot of people in Indiana, the flu hit really hard this year. Okay, And most of you know, in addition to being one of your pastors, I work a couple of shifts each week in the ER, and so I got to experience the flu season firsthand. And it was, it was bad, okay? I mean, pretty much from the end of December through February, we were just seeing a crazy amount of people in hospitals all over the city with the flu. And so most of the time when you would go in, you would hear that all the, all, all the other hospitals in the city were full, meaning all beds were filled, there was no room in the inn, and they couldn't take any more patients. And so in the ER, this meant that all of our rooms would be filled, and then the hallway would just be lined with chairs and cots of people just coughing, sneezing, and hacking on one another. It was awesome, okay? Now, in one sense, it was really easy because it was quite simple to make a diagnosis. I would merely walk up and down the hallway and introduce myself to the patient and promptly tell them that they had the flu. 
And so it was good. In February, the state then started running out of tests and swabs, and so we weren't even supposed to test for it anymore. We, we were just supposed to walk around and say, yes, you have the flu, and you have the flu, and you have the flu, and oh, you're here for a broken arm? Well, your arm is broken, and you have the flu. Because if you did not have it before you got here, you most definitely will have it by the time you leave. You have the flu, okay? Um, and then when people would arrive in the waiting room, if we suspected they had the flu, we would put masks on them or we would try to isolate them in other rooms. We would limit the amount of visitors they could have. And the reason we did this was because the flu is contagious. The flu is contagious. It can spread from person to person. And you don't want to be around someone with the flu who is coughing, hacking, and sneezing on you. It's contagious. It can spread. But this morning, we're going to see Jesus heal people with fevers. We're going to see Jesus heal people with various illnesses. We're going to see him touch and heal someone with leprosy. And we're going to see that Jesus' holiness is more contagious than any disease or infection. We're going to see his cleanness, his wellness, his light, his goodness be contagious and heal the sick and cleanse those he comes into contact with. So look with me now at Mark 1, verse 29. Mark 1, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, well, first we learn here that Simon, who you, you remember, Jesus later names Peter, who is the one giving these firsthand accounts to John Mark, who is writing this book under the inspiration of the Spirit. We learn that Peter was married. Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law, which I'm pretty sure you don't get one of those without also getting a wife, okay? Which I'm not sure what his relationship was like with his mother-in-law. I'm of the mindset that if you have a great relationship with your mother-in-law, like I do with Cindy, um, that she should be referred to as your mother-in-love, okay? Your mother-in-love, not law, all right? Um, so now, we don't know much about Peter's wife, uh, so we won't speculate, but he's married. And here we see Jesus come to his house, and his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, has a fever. Now, we don't know how serious the illness is. We don't know if this is a life-threatening fever. We don't know if it's just a simple fever. All we know is that she is ill with a fever. And I think everyone can agree that it is no fun to have a fever. Uh, many of you who were sick this winter, you can attest to the fact that it is not enjoyable to have a fever. When you have a fever, it is usually a signal that your body is fighting off some sort of an infection. Now, not always, but most of the time, your body is fighting off an infection when you have a fever. Okay, so I'm going to geek out a little bit. Only probably a couple of you will appreciate this, but stick with me. There's a point at the end, okay? So a fever occurs when your internal thermostat resets to a higher temperature, 
okay? And so this internal thermostat is in a region of the brain called the hypothalamus, all right? The hypothalamus. And so because of an infection, the thermostat has set to a higher temperature reading to help your body fight off the infection. And so because the thermostat has been raised, the rest of your body needs to try to accommodate for this and raise the temperature of your body. Now, your body's temperature is determined by how much heat it's producing minus how much heat it's losing, okay? Makes sense, right? Your overall body temperature is how much heat is being produced minus how much heat is being lost. And so if the thermostat in the hypothalamus raises up a couple of degrees, your body is going to try to accommodate this, and by doing so, it makes you feel miserable, okay? Because in an attempt to raise your body temperature, your body tries first to not lose any heat, Okay, your body's trying to raise temperature. It doesn't want to lose any heat. So what happens? You get what's called vasoconstriction, right? The blood vessels out in the extremities and periphery, they constrict so that not too much blood's going out. It's shunted more towards the internal core uh, important organs of your body. And then in an attempt to produce heat, what does your body do? Your body shivers, okay? And the shivering produces more heat in your body and raises that that temperature so that once the blood in the hypothalamus reaches that set temperature, it then goes back to normal, okay? Then when your fever breaks and that thermostat goes down a couple notches, now your body needs to release heat, needs to get rid of the heat. So we see vasodilation, and we see you sweating profusely. This is why you wake up in a pool of sweat, right? Your body's trying to then cool itself back down, okay? And so we won't go into the details of the immune system and its response to the infection or all that. I know I've already lost some of you, okay? But let me just say this, okay? It is utterly amazing that God designed us in such a way, God designed our bodies in such a way to fight off disease and infection, even though disease and infection are a result of our sin. Isn't that amazing? God designed us in such a way that our bodies are able to fight off infection and disease, even though the entrance of disease and infection into the world was brought on by the entrance of sin. Like that, that blows my mind. And all I can say, church, is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God is gracious to us. God is gracious to us. And so, church, modern medicine, by the grace of God, has come a long way, but it is still failing in the fight against disease and death. Uh, In the hospital, we try to treat infections. We try to start antibiotics. We try to give medicines to help alleviate symptoms and lower fevers, but it is still a losing fight. And it has taken humanity thousands of years to come up with some medications that can temporarily treat infections, that can temporarily alleviate symptoms, that can temporarily temporarily lower fevers. I mean, it wasn't until the 1950s that Tylenol started to be distributed to people that could help alleviate some symptoms for them. And so humanity, for thousands of years, has tried to remedy infections, take away fevers, But even our best attempts are only temporary solutions. But then Jesus shows up. And look at verse 31. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. 
He touched her, and the fever just left. Now, we don't know what she had. We don't know how contagious it was. We don't know how serious it might have been, but that's not the point. The point is that Jesus touches her, and she's healed. We've seen him command demons, and they obey. We've seen him call followers, and they obey. And here we see Jesus touch Peter's mother-in-law, and with one touch of the hand, her fever leaves. Her, her illness and her fever are no match for the contagiousness of Jesus' holiness. His holiness, his purity, his life overtakes and heals her body's illness and fever. Jesus has authority even over the hypothalamus even over microbes and the prostaglandin synthesis and all the intricacies of the immune system that we're just scratching the surface of understanding, Jesus has no problem with it. All authority is his. And church, we have a problem. We have a problem. We need to be healed. Okay, we need to be healed. Our physical ailments and illnesses and diseases point us to and remind us that we need to be healed. The effects of sin in this world, the effects of sin in our lives are so widespread. And the older you get, the more you realize our bodies cry out for healing. Right? I mean, can I get an amen from anyone over 50, right? Okay? Right? The older you get, the more you realize our bodies are crying out for healing. But church, there is only one who can permanently heal. There is only one who can permanently heal. Now, no hospital wants me to share this statistic with you, but I love you all, so I'm going to let you in on some insider information, okay? And this is for free. I promise I won't bill your insurance in four months from now, okay? Uh, this is for free. Do you know what percent of a hospital's patient population eventually die? Do you know what percent? What percentage of people that come into a hospital, what percentage will eventually die? Yes, and this, it's shocking to everyone, though, but 100%, 100%. Now, if you were looking for a motivational sermon this morning or a little pick-me-up, I apologize, all right? Next week, I'll be a little bit more peppy on Resurrection Sunday, okay? I promise. But listen, medicine is great. Hospitals are fine. They're okay. And they, by the grace of God, they can provide some temporary healing. They can provide some temporary relief. They can extend your life by a few years. But there is only one who can heal you permanently. Only one. And why is that? Because death and disease are a result of sin, and there is only one who can ultimately deal with sin on our behalf. There's only one. His name is Jesus. And he came to defeat Satan, sin, death, and disease. And his holiness, his life is contagious and is spreading to his people. Isaiah 53, 5. Hear these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Our sin that brought disease into the world was dealt with, judged, and paid for by Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We are healed. Look now back at Mark 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Here we see again Jesus, just like after his baptism, he retreats to a desolate place. We see Jesus go to enjoy some silence and solitude and pray. And we will see this throughout Jesus' time here on earth, that he is intentional in getting away from the crowds and enjoying fellowship with the Father. I mean, think about this, okay? Jesus, because of these miraculous healings and exorcisms, he's becoming a local celebrity in the town, right? Everyone in this city is now flocking to him and looking for him and wanting to be healed or touched by him. And I'm sure that his day's agenda could have been easily filled up by the demands of the people. But what does he do? He goes to pray and enjoy fellowship with the Father. And church, this was really convicting and encouraging for me this week, and I hope it is for you as well. You see, I have recently had this sense of urgency and, and, and pressing burden for my neighbors and for our city and thinking about how, as a church, we can bless the city. How are we going to serve and love our city well? Because you remember, we exist as a church by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to behold God, to build up the body of Christ, and then to go bless the city. And I've recently been throwing out some ideas to some of you on how we can bless the city, how we can serve and love our community more. But that burden, that desire, that sense of urgency has overflowed from my times of prayer. My urgency to go out has overflowed from first my desire to press in to God and enjoy times of silence and solitude with God. And listen, that's a good burden. That's a good burden. That's a good desire to have. But it doesn't work if I just go and then ask you all to volunteer and serve and do things that I feel passionate about, but that you don't necessarily have a burden for or something that you don't feel necessarily pressing on your heart to serve in. And so I don't think me taking the initiative in our church blessing the city should look like me saying, okay, we're going to do this community service project and then pressuring or guilting all of you into trying to be there to serve at it. I don't think that's the best way. If that burden to go out 
has overflowed from me pressing into God, then what I need to be intentional in leading you all in are times of pressing into God and crying out to God and then trusting that the same fire he is lighting in my heart, he will light in your hearts as well. And so church, I've come to the conclusion that just we need to have more times of prayer. We need to have more times of prayer. We need to have more prayer gatherings. We need to gather as men, women, and children, and we need to pray. We need to pray for our city. And then I believe we will watch God stir in our hearts how to bless the city. And I believe that it will likely look different in each of us. God might start stirring in some of you hearts for Franklin College. God might start stirring in you in some of you hearts for the Boys and Girls Club. God might start stirring hearts uh, uh, in you hearts that want to go and serve at Camp Atterbury. Some of you might start having hearts for the homeless. Some of you might start having hearts for those in prison. Some of you might have start having hearts for those uh, for the poor. Some of you might start having hearts for the kids in foster care. I don't know how God is going to stir it up in each of you, but I do know this, that there are a lot of hurting people and a lot of people that need healing in church as those who have been healed We should follow the example of Peter's mother-in-law who started serving after she was healed so that she might gather more at the door to be healed by Jesus. But if we are going to go out, we must first press in. And so stay tuned for some more prayer gatherings. But also, don't just wait on me to schedule church-wide prayer gatherings, okay? You take the initiative. You grab a couple of people to to, to pray, to meet for prayer. You busy moms, call another mom after bedtime and pray on the phone. Pray during nap time. Wake up early before work and gather together to pray. Pray as a city group. But we need to pray more. Unlike the disciples who are letting their priorities and their purpose and their agenda for the day be governed by the people and the immediate needs that they're seeing, Jesus communes with the Father and then says, let's go on to the next towns so that I might preach there. Which practically, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense to the disciples, right? I mean, look at all the excitement and enthusiasm that is being generated in Capernaum because of Jesus healing people. I mean, that's where all the the hype is. That's where all the excitement is. Everyone in the city is trying to get to Jesus. Why not preach where all the excitement and enthusiasm are at? But Jesus decided to move on to other towns. And the reason he did is because Jesus could discern between enthusiasm and faith. He could discern between enthusiasm and faith. He saw that people were flocking to him for healing, but not to hear his teaching. People were coming to him for a blessing, but not repentance. People were coming to try to get things out of him instead of receive him. And church, don't we still see this today? Don't we still do this? Don't we sometimes go to church to see what we can get out of God with no desire to repent or submit to God? 
Like, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll try this Jesus thing out. We'll go to church, see if he can help fix our marriage. Or, or we'll go to church, we'll try this Jesus stuff out. We'll see if he can help our kids behave. Or we'll go to church so that we can feel like we belong or a part of something. Or we'll go to church to kind of feed our self-righteousness so that we can feel good about, hey, we're good people, we've done a good thing today, we've gone to church. But church, let me warn you, when we go to Jesus to just get things from Jesus, we miss out on the greatest thing he has given us. He has given us himself. He has given us himself. And so Jesus came to preach the gospel, to preach that he saves, that he has come to give himself for us so that we could enjoy fellowship with him. Jesus saw that the people in Capernaum, they were wanting miracles, they weren't wanting teaching. They were desiring blessings, they had no desire for repentance. They had enthusiasm, but they did not have faith. And therefore, he says, we have to keep going on to other towns to preach the gospel. This is why I came. Look now at Mark 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, when the Bible uses the term leper, it most definitely is including what we know today as leprosy or Hansen's disease. But also, when the Bible uses the term leper, it's referring to a variety of skin diseases. And in the book of Leviticus, we see God give instructions to the priest in how to examine someone who has a skin disease. Okay, And so Leviticus 13 is like a dermatology class for priests. It's pretty interesting. Go read Leviticus 13, okay? And so if you had a skin disease in that time, you were to be examined by the priest, and if it was bad enough or if it met a certain criteria, you were to be placed outside of the camp. You were to be isolated. You were to be sent out because you could be contagious. And so we read in Leviticus 13, verse 45, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This was a disastrous diagnosis for somebody. 
And not just from a medical standpoint, but even more so just how it affected someone socially and economically. They were cast out, sent outside of the community, sent outside of the camp. If you had leprosy or one of these skin diseases, you had to be sent out away from community and live alone. I mean, can you imagine how devastating this would have been? If you had leprosy, you had to live outside of the camp. If you had leprosy, you had to stay at least 50 paces away from anyone else. And if anyone else approached you, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. I mean, many of us at times, we feel unclean, right? Many of us at times, we feel unworthy, or we feel insignificant, or we feel insecure, but if you had leprosy, you actually had to shout it out, unclean, unclean. And here's why leprosy was so much more serious than any other illnesses or diseases. Other diseases needed to be healed. Leprosy needed to be cleansed. Other diseases needed to be healed. Leprosy needed to be cleansed. And so this is what makes this encounter with Jesus so scandalous and so shocking. This man with leprosy broke the rules. He did not stay 50 paces away from Jesus, but got close enough to touch him and said, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, what's the difference between saying, if you will, and if you are able, right? The man did not say, Jesus, if you are able. He said, if you will. What's the difference between saying, if you will, and if you are able? The difference is faith. The difference is faith. He believed Jesus was able to do this. And he said, Jesus, if you will. And Jesus was moved with pity, compassion, and in the original language, almost an anger, not an anger with the man, but a, a righteous indignation at the effects of sin in the world. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Leprosy was contagious, but it was no match for Jesus's holiness. And I'm sure his disciples would have been like, as Jesus goes to touch the man with leprosy, his disciples would have been like, Jesus, no, 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 no. You'll become unclean. Don't touch him. Because you see, the natural order of things have always been that unclean things make clean things unclean. You guys follow, right? Sick people make healthy people sick. People with the flu give healthy people the flu. Disease is more contagious than health. But not so with Jesus. When Jesus, God in the flesh, the Holy One, shows up, he reverses the natural order of things. Jesus is absolutely holy, and he is the source of all holiness. Now you remember, to be holy means to be pure, to be righteous, to be clean. It also means to be set apart and separate from. And here we see Jesus' holiness is beautifully contagious, meaning God is the only holy one, but wherever he is and whatever he touches receives a holiness by association. 
And so the unclean does not make Jesus unclean. Jesus' cleanness or his holiness makes the unclean clean. Jesus then tells him to go show himself to the priest. Because not only has he been healed, but he has been cleansed. And so now he can be brought back into community. Ephesians 2.13. Hear these words. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus came so that we who were isolated and far off could be brought back into the community of the people of God. Church, we were in the same condition as this leper. We not only needed to be healed, but we needed to be cleansed. Sin had isolated us and broken our fellowship with God and with his people. Sin had condemned us to live in isolation outside of the camp where we were walking around and our hearts were crying out, unclean, unclean. But then Jesus shows up and says, I will be clean. Church, when Jesus saves us, he cleanses us, and he brings us into community with God and community with God's people. And he one day promises to once and for all do away with death, disease, pain, and all the effects of sin. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Church, in concluding this morning, let me challenge you that we have to have a sense of urgency in getting this message out that not only Jesus heals, but Jesus cleanses. We have to have a sense of urgency in this. We have to get this out, that Jesus heals and Jesus, is, Jesus cleanses and Jesus brings people back into community. I am reminded most days when I go to the hospital that life is but a vapor. It is a breath. It is short. It is here for a moment, and then it is gone. And there are people all around us that are dying outside of the camp. There are people all around us that need to be healed, that need to be cleansed, and need to be brought back into community with God and with his people. This church is not a place for all the healed and all the cured and all the cleansed people to just sit around and relax until Jesus returns. We who have been healed by Jesus, who now have God's spirit residing in us, we are to be ready and willing to serve others and gather all the sick in the city and bring them to Jesus. Because we know his holiness is beautifully contagious. Every year in Alaska, there is a dog sled race called the Iditarod Race, okay? Maybe some of you have heard about this. 
Each year, riders and their dogs race more than 1,000 miles. They start in Anchorage, and they go through the Alaskan countryside on dog sleds and finish in the western city of Nome. And it's been a popular race throughout the years, but the reason they do this race is because of a very serious, a serious event that happened in 1925. You see, in 1925, hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to diphtheria. And at that time, there were many kids around the world that would die from this infection. It was highly contagious. And in 1925, in Alaska, the only serum to combat this disease was in far away Anchorage, a thousand miles away. So to get the serum from Anchorage to Nome, about a thousand miles through the countryside, 20, uh, 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 I, I think they're called mushers or dog, people who drive the dog sleds, okay, 20 mushers and their teams of dogs lined up all throughout this route and created kind of a relay to pass the serum from Anchorage to Nome, over a thousand miles. It was an, a, a heroic effort. They eventually called it the great race of mercy. The great race of mercy. They got 300,000 units of life-saving serum to Nome in approximately 127 hours on dog sleds, which is a record that is yet to be broken. And they saved hundreds of lives. So listen, they still do the race every year. They suit up, they get the dog sleds ready, and they still race. But it's different than it was in 1925. What was once a life-saving mission is now just a race. They just kind of dress up, go through the motions, they take the same route, but there's no sense of urgency. They've lost the sense that this is a life-saving mission. Church, this is what happens to the church when we forget we are on a life-saving mission. We end up just going through the motions. We end up just doing what churches do, just trying to look like what other churches look like. We, we complacently pray, we complacently evangelize, we complacently preach and serve, and we lose all sense of urgency. But church, there are people in Franklin who need to be healed. And we have been entrusted with the message that Jesus heals. Church, there are people in Franklin who need to be cleansed from their sin. And we have been entrusted with the message that Jesus cleanses. Church, there are people in Franklin that are isolated from God and his people, and we have been entrusted with the message that in Christ we can be reconciled to God. I have no interest in just going through the motions of church. We must have a sense of urgency about this. We must be intentional in prayer, and then we must go take Jesus to the people, we must remember we are on a life-saving mission. Let's pray. Father, I do not want us to be a church that just goes through the motions. I do not want to be a church 
that just settles into a routine or a new normal. God, we ask that you would put in us hearts that have a healthy sense of urgency and pressing. That you would open our eyes to those that are hurting, that those are, of those that are far from you, and that you would burden our hearts for them. That you would help us awaken and realize that as your people following you, we are on a life-saving mission. Would you stir it up, God, in our hearts this morning? We thank you that we have been healed. We thank you we have been cleansed. We praise you that we who were far off have now been brought near by your blood. And we praise you and I thank you for that. But God, I ask that those who have been healed, that those who have been brought near, that you would stir up in them a sense of urgency to go, to go to the sick, to go to the hurting, and to proclaim the good news that you save. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.